Society talk with the lovely Val Thomas. Um, so Val was our first ever speaker for the Folklore Society <laughs> um, when we were at Arboretum. So we're absolutely thrilled to have her back and are really looking forward to today's talk. Um, as Rachel says, um, this is the second talk in the series um, that we're working with the, um, the Norfolk Heritage Centre and the Living Knowledge Network, which is quite difficult to say. <laughs> so, um, our next talk, this is the last talk of uh, 2023, which is a little bit terrifying. So our next talk is going to be in January. Um, we've already announced it, but I'll just announce it again. So it's um, the Brown Lady of Raynham Hall and the History of Spirit Photography, which will be a really interesting one. The um, Heritage Centre actually have some really amazing examples of uh, Victorian kind of era spirit photography, so they'll be bringing those images down as well for us to have a look at on the night, so that'll be really good. Leave everything everywhere away. So I'll pass you back. Thank you very much. Well, thank you all for coming on such a chilly night. And um, in fact, um, Schiff has just been talking about, you know, what's, what's coming up next in January. But originally, we were going to do this one in January and somebody else was going to, to, to do this, this slot. I think it was Lucy who was going to do this one. But she wanted to change and, and that was fine. I mean, I didn't really mind which um, of the sessions that I did. But when I thought about... Um, this particular time for talking about um, the magical uses of edible plants. I thought, well, you know, how suitable just before Yuletide and Christmas and all the many, many kinds of celebrations that we're having, because that, that is, you know, food is such a key thing to the whole of the festive season, really, whatever religion or tradition you follow. And, um, you know, it's a time when we're really focused on food, isn't it? And, uh, you know, it's it, part of the magic of the food is all about eating together and sharing food together. Um, and so, you know, I thought that this just fits in beautifully with the idea of, of the magic of, of edible plants. Um, you know, because it's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's such an honour, isn't it, to, to share food with your guests and prepare it carefully for your family and, and all of these kinds of things. And, and you know, humanity has always placed a great deal of importance on that, you know, not, not just in, in the way that we prepare food for ourselves and, and, and the people who come to visit us, but also, you know, in, in the way food is prepared in a sacrificial way for gods or spirits or, or whoever you see fit to, um, to leave food out for, you know, the, the, the kind of non-human or non-corporeal entities. And of course, you've got uh, so many of, of the foods that are, so, that are so important at this kind of time of year um, are, are plants, aren't they? And, and so many people now, of course, that are having you know what is largely if not exclusively uh, a plant-based diet and and there's so much magic um involved with all these these individual food items that we might be including in our festivities that, that i thought i'd um i i look at a kind of like a whole festive meal and think about all the different magics of the plants that are involved in that meal. So, so uh, 
without further ado, I thought we'd go straight into the first course, actually, because you know, we go through, we'll, go through, we'll go straight to the main course. Otherwise, you know, if we have too many courses, we'll just get indigestion. So, so, so main course first. So, I mean, especially if you are vegetarian or vegan, one of the really important foods that, you, that you'd be having is probably beans. And, and in fact, they're a wonderful example of edible plants to start with, just because there is so much magic associated with beans in many different ways, actually. Um, if, if you think, think about green beans, um, they are very much associated with, with the fair folk. And you, you probably all remember this, this, the Suffolk story of the green children of Woolpit who, who suddenly appeared um, and, and were, were found just lost. And um, when, they, when they were sort of taken to somebody's home, they, they, their skin was green and they couldn't speak. Um, except eventually they were able to say that they'd come from St Martin's land. But they wouldn't eat anything except green beans. And that's a real clue, isn't it, to how important um, the beans are. Of, of, of course, the, the, the story continues and, uh, and, and, and the, the female child actually managed to thrive and learn to eat other things. The, the boy sadly died, but, um, but, but the girl went on to... Um, to, to marry a farmer and, uh, and and live an almost normal life, although she was always said to be uh, rather wild <laughs> in many respects, I believe. Um, but yes, so 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 that's a clue. And, and and beans generally are a food that's that's really beloved of the fair folk. So you know, if you want to encourage fairies, the fair ones, the fae maybe even some hikey sprites at this time of year. You know, a festive meal of beans might actually go down very well with them. Uh, as in addition to, of course, the, the very traditional offering of, of cream and honey, which in almost all traditions the, the fair ones tend to like. Um, so, you know, a, a, a first course of beans perhaps and then, then a pudding of cream and, and honey, though, um, you know, they, they will accept milk too, but I think definitely not semi-skimmed. I don't really see that as, as going down very well. And of course, another that kind of you know, festive association of beans is, is with, you know, many people's favourite pantomime is Jack and the Beanstalk, isn't it? And you've got that idea of, you know, the, the boy is, is sold... Or, or he, he sells the cow for three beans, and of course his mother's furious with him, but the, but the beans turn out to be, as all beans are, of course, extremely magical. And, and when planted, they, they form this ladder to, uh, to, to the other world, a world of you know, giants and, and abundance um, and reputation. If, of course, you're brave enough to, to plant the beans and climb up there and take on the role of, of hero. And as well as those associations, beans are also very much um, known as the food of the dead. And they were an important part of uh, Roman funerary practices they were eaten uh, at funeral meals 
because some people then believed that the souls of the dead actually went into the beans. So what, why it was inappropriate to eat them, I'm not quite sure, because that seems a little bit weird. But that, but that's, uh, but that is the connection that's made. Um, though personally, I don't know about you, I don't really fancy going into a bean when I'm dead. But you know, I suppose if if, if somebody plants some beans on your grave, then that's going to happen anyway. But it's interesting that they're associated with death because they're also associated with health as well. Because, um, you know, when we say that we're full of beans, it means we're, we're full of health and vitality, doesn't it? And, um, yeah, and, and energetic. And again, in Roman tradition too, you've, you've got this idea of, of beans being offered to the goddess Kana, who was a goddess of health and, and, and vitality, and also of the heart and, and various other organs of the body as well. And, uh, you know, just from a purely kind of practical point of view, beans actually contain folate, magnesium, iron, um, various vitamins, particularly vitamin B. And they also contain um, L-DOPA, which is, which is the constituent which is actually missing in people who suffer from Parkinson's. And it is, it is thought, and, you know, people do do this, that, that if you're suffering from Parkinson's, you can you can eat beans and get some um, relief of the symptoms by actually eating beans. But they have to be very young beans with very soft skins that are easily digestible. You know, and there have been some scientific studies that have shown this to be beneficial. But of course, nothing's ever simple, isn't it? And, and, and the whole folklore of beans is, is so complicated. Um, because there are certain people who can actually die of eating beans and uh, even of smelling the pollen of beans. And, uh, and these are people who have a genetic condition that means that they lack the enzyme uh, GP6D. And, and that's the enzyme that helps us to, to break down all of the constituents in the beans. And uh, there's, uh, there's a rather lovely story about this in um, Adam Alexander's wonderful book called The Seed Detective, which if you're interested in, you know, the kind of, the, you know, the science and magic of, of food items, it's a, it's a brilliant book. Uh, really, I would definitely recommend it. It's lovely. Uh, and he has a long section about beans in this book, which, which covers many, many different kinds of vegetables. And, and he talks about the, you know, the Greek philosopher Pythagoras, who um, he was fleeing from his enemies, and his only chance of avoiding them was to run through a bean field. But he is thought to have suffered from this condition, the lack of the enzyme to break them down. So for him, to run through the bean field in flour would have meant certain death. And so he chose to, um, to, to stand his ground and face his enemies and, uh, and was indeed killed by them. Now, obviously, you know, in, in many kinds of traditions and in nature, sex and death are very closely linked, aren't they? And lots of people consider beans to be an aphrodisiac. And uh, there's a, a tradition in both Norfolk and Suffolk 
that any young ladies who live near a bean field will very soon fall pregnant. Um, however, anybody who finds themselves to be so disappointed in love that they really do not wish to continue to live can go and lie down in a bean field, at which point they will be granted an easy death. So, there we go. It doesn't say whether or not you have to lack that enzyme in order to, uh, to, to, to benefit from that tradition, but, uh, but, but that's, that's what they, they say anyway. Um, and uh, there, there's another East Anglian tradition, um, which, is, which is much used and, and much spoken about, um, where, you, where you, you have a little rhyme that goes... Three blue beans in a blue bladder. Rattle, bladder, rattle, rattle, bladder, rattle. And you have to say it very fast three times. And that protects you from evil spirits. And you have to actually have the three blue beans in a blue bladder and, and rattle them while you're saying the, uh, saying the little rhyme. And of course, you can get, you can get blue beans. There are many uh, varieties of bean which, which do um, become up sort of bluey-purple. Um, there's a particularly nice one called um, Blue Cream, actually. That's, uh, that's a lovely one. And, um, and, and, and the bladder, I have always taken to be the actual, you know, the pod of the beans, so, so, you, so you just rattle the three in the pod, but then you've, you've got to get a pod that, that has just the three in, otherwise it's, it's not going to work. Um, you know, and various people talk about you know, the different kinds of magic of the numbers of beans that you find in, in any particular pod. And they're associated with judgment too, aren't they? Because, you know, again, going back to Roman times, people often voted um, for or against a person or an idea by placing either a black or a white bean. You know, black would be against a person or an idea, and a white bean would be in favour. Um, and uh, so, so that's uh, you know a, a way of judging. And also, you know, going back to you know the idea of our festive food, um, people nowadays often put like you know a little knickknack or something like that in a Christmas pudding or a Christmas cake or after Christmas maybe in a twelfth cake the twelfth night, um, uh, and and the person who receives it is is is, is lucky or is going to be able to do something or win something. Um, but traditionally, what you actually put in is a bean, isn't it? So that uh, so that that's the indication of that that person is the winner. Um, in, in in the house where I grew up, we, we always had we, we had three silver thrupney bits, and uh, and they used to go one in each of the Christmas puddings, um, and and the person who got the silver thrupney bit won a prize. So, but you know, it's the same kind of thing. Um, Though, though, unfortunately, in, in the case of our three Shrookley bits, uh, at one point one disappeared and there were only ever then two left after that. <laughs> so somebody ate one. <laughs> yes, so, uh, so that's some beans then, which, uh, you know, we, we, which you've got plenty of scope for magic there. But, uh, but, you know, we do have to have some other vegetables for our festive food, don't we? So what about the cabbage family, which obviously are very much, uh, you know, seasonal. Now, most most people say who, who, who kind of link astrology 
to plants and their magic. They say that, that cabbages are ruled by the moon. It's because you know parts of the cabbage are often quite white, aren't they? Especially if you've got the lighter varieties of cabbage. Um, and, uh, and they're also very watery. You know, cabbages have, have got high water content. So, so it makes them very lunar in their aspect. Um, and there's various bits of magic associated with, with cabbages. Um, for example, if a couple get married, the first thing they do when they move to their new home should be to plant some cabbage in the garden because that actually brings luck to the marriage and luck and uh, general you know, kind of good fortune and fertility to the garden itself as well. And of course, you know, cabbage and, uh, and all the other brassicas are really, really closely related. I mean, you, you know, people have, have done you know, kind of selective um, cross-pollination with, the, with, with cabbages to, to try to, to produce all sorts of different kind of fancy things, you know, like cauliflowers and, and, and broccoli, and dare I mention them, sprouts. Um, but so they're all very closely connected. Now I don't know if you um, love or hate sprouts, but I mean they are just little cabbages, really. Personally, I love them, um, and and I always think, you know, what are the magic of sprouts different to the cabbage, and and that idea of it being so kind of tightly packed, it's like they're full of potential for all the exciting things that can happen in in the coming years. So so I definitely think you should try to eat your sprouts, really. And of course, there'll be potatoes as well, inevitably. Um, so, so what uh, you know, what, what what can we do with the potatoes? You know, they they don't look when they're kind of cooked particularly magical. Um, you better when they're roast for sure. But uh, of course, before you prepare them, they have what we call eyes, don't they? And and therefore, because they have eyes. You know, they are magical and they can see. And there's a long tradition of using potatoes as puppets, which are kind of magical dolls, which can do various things for you. Um, of course, in the case of a potato puppet, you know, they can for sure see things for you. Um, but you can instruct your puppets to do all sorts of other things as well. Or you can stick pins in them if you uh, if you like to do <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, but potatoes have got some really interesting um, kind of magical cures associated with them as well. Um, carrying a potato in your pocket can have all sorts of beneficial effects. Um, it can be good for arthritis, rheumatism, toothache, warts, gout. And all sorts of other things. And uh, you put the potato in your pocket, and, and as it starts to grow, because you know, all the, the little sprouts that come out of the eyes, they get longer and longer and longer in your pocket, and, and they absorb any of the, the bad energy that's, that's in your body. And then when, when, when you've got a pocket full of sprouts instead of just a nice, neat potato, um, then, then you get rid of that one and, um, and, and you get a new potato and start again. I do know somebody um, that, that, that swears by this and does it all the time. Um, and, uh, you know, I have arthritis myself, so I probably ought to have a potato in my pocket, but I kind of, you know, I haven't got round to doing it yet. And um, 
And some of my clothes don't have pockets, which is really annoying because if you haven't got pockets, where do you supposed to put the potatoes? <laughs> but there we go. I'll have, to, I'll have to add some pockets especially. Um, but there is a slight variation on, on this idea of changing the potato once it's absorbed all the bad energy. And that's, uh, that's, that's to prevent yourself getting a winter cold. You should just take, you should choose one potato at the beginning of winter and have that in your pocket. And you have it in your pocket for the whole of the winter and you mustn't change it. It's got to be the same one the whole time if it's going to prevent a cold. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I mean, thinking of the other root vegetables that you might be having, um, you know, carrots and parsnips are a favourite, aren't they, for your Christmas dinner. Uh, and you won't be surprised to learn that, that their magic is to promote lust and fertility. But what about the other kind of additions to, to the meal? The garnish, the stuffing, and all of those kind of things. Now, one of the herbs that, that I always feel really strongly about actually is parsley. Because I, I have this, one of my pet hates is to, is to sit in a restaurant and watch people have things with a parsley garnish on them. They very carefully push it off their food and leave it on the side of the plate as if it was only on there to look pretty. But in fact, you know, parsley is a superfood. It really is amazing. You know, if, if, uh, if, 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 if supermarkets thought about how beneficial um, parsley is health-wise, they would charge a lot more for those little pots of parsley that, that they sell or the little bags of parsley because you know it contains vitamin C and vitamin E particularly other bioflavonoids it's full of iron uh, and it's got folic acid in it as well and, and it has many beneficial medicinal effects so it's anti-rheumatic it's antimicrobial as well uh, it's a bitter tonic so it's very good for your digestion um, it, it can help to activate the thyroid and it can activate the adrenal glands as well. So, you know, it's got many kind of practical, um, you know, and well-researched um, medicinal benefits. And magically, it's, it's very much associated with purification and protection. Also, to a certain extent, lust and fertility as well. Um, in some respects, it's associated with victory too, which is interesting, um, because parsley was used to crown the successful athletes at the Isthmian Games. Uh, but the interesting thing about those particular games is that they were funerary games. And, uh, you know, in, in other kinds of, of, of games and, and, and competitions, um, it was the bay laurel that was used as the victor's crown, and that, that's more associated with it. But just in this particular example, it, it was parsley that was used. So, so parsley is very much also associated with, with death and the underworld, and, and in particular, actually, with, with the goddess Persephone, who obviously descends into the, into the underworld and, and is lost to our realms for the winter portion of the year and uh, in Christian uh, mythology as well parsley is associated with the devil and one of the reasons that, that people talk about the devil and parsley I think it's come about because parsley can be quite 
awkward to germinate sometimes you know sometimes it just you know you sow the seed and it just doesn't want to grow especially if you if you set out your garden early in the spring and you you know you think you're going to get lovely long row of parsley growing and it, and it just doesn't germinate because actually it needs quite warm soil um, so the tradition is that, that you should actually sow your parsley um, on good friday and then the parsley descends into hell with Christ after the crucifixion and, and the parsley is, is, is kept safe with Christ while he's down there harrowing hell uh, and defeating the devil and, and then when, when Christ rises on Easter Sunday then, then up come the parsley again with him. So that's a rather nice tradition and there are many variations on that actually, that's, that's just a simplification of it. Um, but it's, uh, you know, it, it, it's interesting as well because very often people say you should sow uh, the things that you want to harvest, the above ground um, leaves, leaves, flowers, so all of those parts of the plant. You should sow those during a waxing moon, whereas things like, you know, root vegetables, you tend to sow them on, the, on a waning moon because roots grow better then. Um, However, if you, if you look at the calendar on ephemeris, you'll see that Good Friday in our culture is almost never during a waxing moon. Because it just, it just doesn't work out like that, because Easter Sunday is always the first Sunday after the first full moon after the spring equinox. And if you think that through, it means that Good Friday is almost never on a waxing moon. Though I believe, I think it was 2020, it was. But that's unusual. Another interesting little point about parsley that some of you might find, uh, find useful is that uh, it is said that scattering parsley seeds over your head three times a year helps cure baldness. I don't know whether that's true or not, but that is what he said. I, I have never had anybody report that uh, that has been successful for them, but, but there are many, many, many magical uh, cures for baldness, um, and that is, that is just one among many. And of course, the other thing about parsley is, is it sweetens the breath, doesn't it? So, you know, if you've been drinking too much or smoking too much over Christmas or eating too much with garlic in it, then chewing on parsley will sweeten the breath. And it really does make a difference, actually. So uh, that's something that's, that's worth remembering to do. So another really magical herb. And then, of course, you know, along with parsley, you've got to have sage as well, haven't you? Because, you know, you have to think of your, your parsley, sage, rosemary and thyme, because, you know, in people's minds, they go together. So I've done them in the right order here. So what about sage, then? Well, that's antimicrobial, uh, and uh, it's, it's used for, um, for mouthwashes. It's really, really good if you've got sore gums or gingivitis or something like that, and, and it can be very, very good um, for those kind of conditions. And if you've got a sore throat, to gargle with sage is, uh, is very beneficial. Though some people will say that, you, that you, should, um, you should use the kind of sage that's got that ready tint to it. You know, the, 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 you can buy them in garden centres. They're very pretty, um, but they are... Um, 
they, they are supposed to be particularly good for the sore throats because if you if you remember you, you know the idea of the doctrine of signatures is that there is something about the plant which indicates what it should be used for so so the red on on the leaf is it reminds you of the the, the redness and the soreness of the sore throat and that's how you know that's what you you should use it for um, but as the name suggests, the plant is also a great promoter of longevity and wisdom. And uh, it's recommended that those of us who are a little older should eat a sage leaf every day to, uh, to prolong our lives. Now, I, I sometimes eat sage leaves in the summer because they're lovely. In the spring and summer, they're absolutely delicious. But, but the, the longer on through the summer season and into the autumn they get, you know, the leaves get older, they, they become less tasty uh, and increasingly bitter. But perhaps that says something about longevity as well. <laughs> Not quite sure. But anyway, it's worth thinking about. And of course, you know, the, 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 the wisdom uh, is, is, in, is in the name, isn't it? You know, it's, uh, it isn't called sage for nothing. Um, it's also associated with lots of spells of money. You'll find loads of money spells that, um, that include sage. Uh, and for healing. And if you carry a horn of sage with you, it's said to protect you from the dreaded evil eye. And of course, we all need protection from that, don't we? So it's worth remembering if you need it. There's a, there's a strange little tradition about sage. And I have to admit, I, I haven't actually followed this bit, but, but it is said that you shouldn't um, plant sage yourself in your own garden. You know, you should, you should if, you, if you want to put sage in your garden, ask someone else to plant it for you. It's, uh, it's said to be, to be more, more fortunate if you do that. And the other gardening tip about sage is don't have one flower bed with only sage in it because that, that doesn't bring good fortune. You should have at least one other plant in the same flower bed with the sage. Because they can get quite big and spread and take up uh, an enormous amount of, uh, of ground if, uh, if they thrive. But, uh, but always make sure there's a little something else there with them. And then you've got the rosemary as well. And, you know, that's, that's, that's a lovely plant in, in, in your food, but it's also a beautiful, beautiful plant to have in the garden, isn't it? And, of course, you know, people, most people associate rosemary with the memory. You know, we, we, we hark back to you know, Ophelia's speech in, in, in Hamlet where she talks about here's rosemary for remembrance. And, and if, Interesting, isn't it? Everybody remembers that little bit. Maybe they don't remember the rest of it, but they remember that bit. And um, it's long, long, long for centuries been used to help uh, the memory. And uh, it, but it's only in recent years that, that, that scientific studies have shown that rosemary actually increases the circulation to the brain, and that's how it, it helps. Um, so it, it, there, there have been lots of trials um, and, and other studies uh, to, to see whether rosemary can be you know, useful for people with um, Alzheimer's or other forms of dementia. And, uh, and also it's really useful if you're doing exams. So you know, if any of you have got any exams lined up for the new year, then um, 
then rosemary is, is a good thing to take prior to the exam. So because of the way the brain works, the best thing to do is to, is to take some rosemary while you're revising and then take it again in the same way when you're doing the exam. Because the, the brain remembers its associations better that way. So you, know, you could, for example, just um, you know, rub a, a, a leaf of rosemary and smell it. That will help because you know, you're getting the volatile oils come out and they go up your nose and into your brain quite easily because volatile oils are very, very small um, compounds. Uh, so you could do it that way. You could chew on a leaf. You could have some rosemary tea. Or you could just sniff a bottle of essential oil. But as long as you did the same thing while revising that you do when you're actually doing the exam. Um, rosemary is one of those herbs that's associated with the sun, interestingly enough. We talked about cabbage being associated with the moon. But rosemary is, a, is very much a solar herb. And most people agree on that. Um, and so it's sometimes used for kind of purification processes and, and often people will have, uh, have a bowl of holy water and maybe use the, the sprig of rosemary you know, like a brush to kind of sprinkle the holy water around and uh, there's also a tradition that rosemary only grows in the gardens of the righteous uh, and uh, of course, the other thing is that, uh, that 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 rosemary grows where the woman is in charge of the household. That's another very commonly mentioned tradition. Yeah, and uh, if you if you hang up sprigs of rosemary around the house, that's said to deter thieves. So that's probably worth doing if you're going away for Christmas. Hang up some sprigs of rosemary around the house to make sure that nobody, nobody comes in while you're away. Um, if you put it under the pillow, it's supposed to bring you pleasant dreams and it keeps the devil away, which is always handy, isn't it? Because, I mean, it's such a nuisance. <laughs> um, and here's a good tip that uh, carrying a piece of rosemary wood uh, preserves your youthful looks. I didn't know that in time. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there are many, many more uh, traditions and magics associated with rosemary. Um, but one of the things that, that often happens, if you've got rosemary perhaps on the south-facing wall, it will often start to bloom around Christmas time. And sometimes people look at it and say, oh my goodness, you know, it's global warming, the rosemary's blooming and the plants don't know what they're doing. But that's actually not the case because it, it, it's actually fine for rosemary to bloom around this time of year. It does. And if it blooms on Christmas Day in your garden, that is particularly auspicious. So, uh, you know, it's hope that it does bloom at this time. I'll tell you where, there, the, 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 there's one, um, oh, what's the church at the, um, you know, on Bishop Bay, opposite the plaque where uh, Lord Sheffield was killed in Kett's Rebellion, which is, I can't remember the dedication of the church there, but by the magistrates court there, there's a church, isn't there? And just on the, on the, on the, ro the main road side of that, there's a huge rosemary bush, 
You look at that one, that really often blooms in December or very early January. So, you know, if you're wandering around the city, that one's worth having a look at. Okay, then we have thyme. And thyme has got loads of medicinal uses, actually. It's a really important um, medicine, particularly uh, for, for upper respiratory tract infections. So it's great if you've got a cough, bronchitis, any of those really annoying things that people tend to suffer from, particularly in the winter. COVID, even, if you're unlucky enough to, to get that again. Um, Thyme is really helpful because it's 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 very thymol, which is the a chemical that that is that is the most important uh, apparently in the plant um, is a very very powerful antimicrobial and you know it's well tested in laboratories and that you know shown to be the case and uh, and it's great and you can take it in so many different ways you know you can you can you can drink it as a tea you can take it as a teacher or as a vinegar. Or, of course, you can, you can actually inhale it, which is the old-fashioned way to, to treat um, colds and, and coughs and things, to, to actually put it in a bowl of steaming water. You know, put a towel over your head and then, um, and then breathe in. And, and, and the steam, of course, is actually beneficial for the lungs. You know, as anybody who suffers from asthma knows, you know, if you go in a nice, warm, um, humid bathroom, then, then that, can, that can really help asthma. So, so, so it's good for the lungs and helps to dilate the, the, the airways. Now, the only thing is, if you do that, then the last thing you want to do afterwards is to go out into a cold night. So uh, you, know, you want to be sure you're not going out for a good few hours after you've, you, you've, you've steamed your lungs. Um, so, so time can be also worn to attract general good health. It's, it's one of those... Uh, one of those kind of plants that, that, that works um, just by wearing it as well as by actually taking it. Though, though if you've got bronchitis, I'd definitely take it. You wear it as well, sure, but, um, but, but I'd, uh, yeah. I'd take some internally and, and as a steam. Um, it is said, and this might be useful for Christmas parties, that women can wear a sprig of time in their hair to make themselves irresistible. So, you know, if you, uh, if you feel the need of that, then, uh, then, they, then there you go. And uh, time is also interestingly associated with courage. There's, there's a traditional drink called the Warrior's Cup, which is, a, which is basically, it's just a tea of thyme and borage. And drinking that um, is said to, to make you courageous. So those are perhaps the, uh, the, the kind of obvious, obvious herbs from, from, from the stuffing. But, uh, but I couldn't resist also including basil because that's a, that's a lovely, lovely herb, isn't it? Um, now, there are lots of different types of basil that, that seem, you know, that they're kind of, their magic and um, associations are, are quite mixed up together, even though, you know, they are you know, many different species. Um, and it's a plant that's actually sacred worldwide, isn't it? Um, in India, for example, you've got the holy basil, and that's particularly associated with, um, with Krishna and with Vishnu as well. So some major Indian gods um, uh, have, have basil as an, as an important plant in their stories. 
Um, and, and actually, the, um, the, the plant came to us in the UK from India originally in um, 1573, in fact. Um, so we've had it for you know, a good few centuries now. And uh, the herbalists consider it to be a mild antidepressant and a mild sedative and also an adrenal stimulant. So it has, uh, as well as its digestive benefits, you know, it has other medicinal benefits too. And lots of really complicated magical associations as well. Um, it's... Uh, it was one of the embalming herbs that was used in Egypt during the mummification process, actually. And so it does have quite strong associations with death. And uh, a tradition um, in, in other parts of Europe, and here too to a certain extent, um, is that if somebody dies, you can keep a, a pot of basil uh, and water it with your tears in memory of the person who has died. And, and of course, that, that's, that, that, that motif, if you like, it, it's the basis of um, the wonderful poem by Keats, Isabella and the Pot of Basil, um, which, which, is a, which is a fabulous poem and, uh, and, and a rather gruesome story, which, which Keats actually took from the Italian um, book, The Decameron, which is a collection uh, of tales that people told each other during a time of plague, and this was one of them that that, that Keats then made into the poem. But but really to you know to to, to, to just shorten the story that, um, that that Isabella has this this lover Lorenzo, but her brothers are really against her um, having him as her lover. So of course you know when they, they they pretend they've sent him off on business somewhere, but they've actually killed him and buried him in the forest. But, um, but, but Isabella finds out, and she and her servants go and dig the body up in the forest, cut his head off, put it in a pot of basil, um, uh, at which point then Isabella spends you know, many, many pages of the poem weeping into the pot, as you do. Uh, and then the, the, then, then, then the brothers uh, become suspicious about the pot of basil because the, 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 the plant just thrives amazingly. Uh, and, uh, and then they, they, they throw away the pot and the head, um, at which point poor Isabella dies of a misery. So it's a real chirpy kind of <laughs> but, but it does have that, that kind of magic of, of, of basil in it. So, um, but nowadays, I mean, it's, it's interesting how sometimes, you know, the kind of the tone of the magic does change over the years, because nowadays... You know, most people talk about basil, you know, in a completely positive kind of way, um, and it's uh, you know, it's um, it, it, it's associated with wealth very much. You know, it's one of the things people say. You know, what herb is is good for money? Some of you say, well, basil. You know, you should have some basil oil, or you should put basil leaf in in your purse, or you should put a sprig of basil um, in your cash register if you've got a shop, for example. Um, and, and that's, uh, you know, there's a strong tradition there. And you, or you could grow a pot of basil at home or in your place of business. And, you know, I mean, I always like to have a pot of basil at home. I think it's... Uh, I haven't got any heads in it, honestly. <laughs> Cut anybody's head off. Not recently, anyway. Um, yeah, and, and generally speaking, it's, it's thought to bring good fortune to the home now. And it's particularly considered fortunate if you receive... 
um, a pot of basil as a gift. Um, and I, I particularly love the taste of basil, actually. So I've killed a lot of basil plants by overeating them. You know, because you know they're better if you pick them and eat them, but you know there are a limit. There's a limit to how much you can graze on one plant before you actually um, do it some serious damage. Um, yeah, so so it's a good idea to have several so that you've got enough to you know, eat a bit of one while the other one grows back. Um, but interestingly enough, in in some of the classical Greek and Roman depictions of the um, personification of poverty, she is often shown with a pot of basil. So people have then said, well, you know, maybe the basil is associated with poverty then. But I think she's probably got the pot there because she's trying to do something about it, which is, is the interpretation that, uh, that I prefer. There we go. Anyway, there's some. So, so we've had some of our vegetables, and we've had some of our garnishes and, and extras. So, so let's move on to the pudding now, because time is getting on. Um, there's a lovely, lovely uh, tradition of, uh, of, of a Yuletide, particularly winter solstice um, dessert. And, and, it's, and it's from a lovely book, which if you're interested in, in these kind of you know, like food traditions and, and edible things, there's a book called um, Food in England by Dorothy Hartley. And it's, and it's wonderful. It begins with how to cook in a cauldron properly. And it's got all sorts, sorts of different traditional ovens and, and how people actually use them across the centuries. And it's got these amazing uh, kind of food traditions. And the one that I love for the solstice was that you can you may you have um, you have two jellies, one made from elderberries, and the other made from quince. And the elderberry one, of course, it's almost black, isn't it? And so that that represents the dark, and then the quince is that kind of lovely goldy red, and that represents the light. So you you have them together, and you can actually gild them with real gold if you uh, if you know, if you want to be really fancy. And of course, uh, you know, quince has got lots of magic associated with it. Um, you know, particularly quince seeds are, are supposed to protect you against evil and, and also against physical harm and accident. So that's quite a useful, um, useful tip if you're, if you're out and about. And of course, the, the elder is, uh, I mean, it has so much magic associated with it. You know, most people are aware of the fact that you shouldn't you shouldn't cut down an elder tree because there might be a witch living in it, and then she'll be after you if you cut her tree down. But you know, it, it, it has the, the berries themselves are are, are antiviral, and um, the uh, the flowers are great for they're the antiviral too. They're also great for hay fever and other allergic conditions. And of course, they're, they're just delicious, aren't they? And you can. You can make elderflower wine and elderflower champagne and, uh, and, and, and save that for, for later festivities too. But of course we might be eating lots of sugar. I mean, even these jellies, you know, your elder and queen's jelly, that's going to have a fair amount of sugar in it. So, uh, so one of the, the, the edible herbs that, uh, spices in this case, that would be useful to include is cinnamon because cinnamon actually helps to regulate the blood sugar. 
So uh, you know, it's it's not for nothing that it's such a popular ingredient in cakes because it's it is counteracting to a certain extent. You know, there's a limit, I suppose, to what we can manage, but uh, but it does partly, uh, you know, it improves the digestion and it regulates your blood sugar. Cinnamon's also antimicrobial as well. Um, so, it, so it can actually help with coughs and colds too. So it's a good idea to drink plenty or eat plenty of it during the festive season. And in, in Chinese medicine, actually, cinnamon is almost considered a kind of cure-all. So it appears in lots and lots of remedies for various different things. And of course, when you eat things with cinnamon in, I mean, the, the, the taste and the smell, it's got all that kind of warmth of the exotic places where it grows, hasn't it? Because it's, you know, it's, it's, it's originally from Sri Lanka, but it's also grown in India and the Seychelles and Brazil. So it's, you know, it, it's, it's very exotic and it's got that, that lovely kind of feel to it. And, and it's actually one of the spices that was given by King Solomon to the Queen of Sheba, which gives an indication of, of how important that uh, it's considered to be. And one of the things that, that I've noticed recently on, on all these various you know, Facebook groups about spells and witchy stuff and what have you, one of the things that people have become obsessed with in the last, I think, two years is the idea that you can, you can get cinnamon and, and you actually get the powder and you blow it in through your front, front door um, at the new moon and then that will make you wealthy for the rest of the cycle of the moon. People have become really obsessed with it. They do it all the time. And, and you, you get these questions on the group saying, oh, no, I forgot to blow cinnamon in through the door. In the, uh, the, the, the new moon. Does that mean that I'm going to be poor for the month? But, um, I mean, of course, I mean, you, know, you don't have to do it. It's just a suggestion. But um, I haven't tried it yet, so I can't, I can't say whether it works or not. But, uh, but people, are, people are very much, uh, you know, well, I'd say obsessed with doing it at the moment. Um, but nevertheless, you know, cinnamon is an, associated with money. Uh, I mean, partly, some of these associations, you know, they, they do come about for practical reasons. And I think, you know, exotic spices are always associated with wealth, aren't they, for us? Because, you know, unless you're rich, you can't afford to buy them, can you? Because, you know, you can't just grow them in your garden like parsley. I said, you've got to, you've got to import it and you, you've got to buy it. And, of course, the cinnamon's lovely, isn't it, when you get it in the quills for putting in your mulled wine. Absolutely beautiful. And here's a nice little fun, magical thing to do with kids that I've done lots of times. And that's, a, you can make a little wand with a cinnamon quill and a bit of star anise, and you can actually wire the star anise to the top of the cinnamon quill, and you've got the cutest little wand to give to kids. And they really, they really are lovely. Um, and of course, the star anise itself, you know, it, it, that's got loads of magic as well. It's another one of these exotic digestive herbs that have become very important to us. Um, it's often used in incense. It's lovely in incense, actually. Um, and it's, it's really protected, but it's also said to increase your psychic powers. So it's good to use an incense if you want to do you know, ritual or divination or, or something like that. And uh, again, always useful to have things for general good luck. So placing a nice whole um, cinnamon star you know, around your house or on your altar if you have one is a way of attracting good luck. 
Though, you know, you, you can really drive the poor, the poor guy, you know, spice man on the market. I have in the past driven, driven him mad by saying, can I have, like, you know, three ounces of star anise? Don't give me any broken ones. Because, <laughs> of course, you know, it's, it's quite unusual to find one that is, uh, you know, where the star is absolutely complete. But it's worth looking for them. Yes, and, uh, and, and connected to, to those, of course, is the nutmeg, isn't it? You know, it's, uh, I, again, another, another very Christmassy kind of spice. Um, and a good luck charm is to string um, star anise and nutmeg together. So you know, they work well as a pair. Um, they're for general protection and luck, but they can also help against rheumatism, Consoles, neuralgia, boils and styes. So always handy to have. Um, of course, in, in, in medicine, nutmeg is actually used to promote sleep and relaxation and some herbalists prescribe it for pain relief as well. Um, and some people swear that uh, it's really good for dissolving gallstones. So if you're eating too much fat over Christmas, we might need some of that as well. And again, it's another exotic spice associated with prosperity. But this time you should uh, you should get a nutmeg powder and sprinkle it over a green candle. So that's a, that's a good way to attract prosperity. So we're running out of time now. But just before we finish, you know, how about to wash this all down some festive drinks? Um, you know, if you're being really fancy, you might want some absinthe, you know, which, is, which has become available again in supermarkets. So, you know, it was banned for a long time, but now you can get it. And of course, the main ingredient that, uh, that gives absinthe its bad name, apart from all the alcohol, of course, um, is the wormwood. Because wormwood, actually, it's very high in suogone, so it can, it can actually rot your liver really quite quickly if you have too much of it um, but uh, but wormwood does have uh, you know many uh, useful properties and in fact it is a bitter digestive tonic and you know as the name suggests you can also use it to to expel worms as well and uh, you know even even in our modern lives you know sometimes people do suffer from worms and so it's you can prescribe one wood. Not, not too much, you mustn't have too much of it, obviously. But you know, just about five millilitres of wormwood tincture a week can help get rid of worms. And uh, it's also said that if you, um, if you put uh, wormwood, a little bunch of wormwood in your car, it helps to protect you as you're travelling. Now, uh, some people use wormwood, but, but I personally prefer another one of the Artemisias, which is mugwort. That's the one that I always use in the car. But they're very closely related, so, so you know, they, they have similar magical associations. Now, I've, I've said that wormwood's really bitter, uh, and, and, and bitter tonics are so important if you're going to um, you know, be overindulging, you know, because you want your digestion to be as... Uh, as well primed as possible and functioning optimally, don't you? And, and, and if you take a bitter tonic 15 minutes before you start to eat, then, you're, then your digestive enzymes are absolutely ready to, uh, 
do what they need to do. And that, that's, that's the, um, the reason for aperitifs, because they should be bitter, and, and they, they, they are designed to um, prime the digestion. Um, and and but, you know, I mean, it, often now we, we, we tend to have rather sweet drinks before the meal, don't we? But, but you know, things like vermouth and, um, you know, and Swedish bitters and things like that, are, they're actually really good. And if you look at some of the, um, you know, Eastern European um, uh, aperitif drinks, I mean, they have things like gentian. And also in Alpine regions, they drink a lot of gentian. Gentian snaps before the meal. And gentian, like wormwood, is one of the bitterest of the plants there is, and, and they are good for us. You know, we love sugar, but um, but I'm sorry to say bitters are better for us. They are very, very good indeed. Um, yes, the other thing about wormwood is that, uh, that if you burn wormwood in the graveyard, it's said to summon the spirits of the dead. If you feel that you need to do that. <coughs> But yes, but I'll, I'll finish off with one of my favourites, which is a nice glass of gin, actually. And uh, of course, the main flavouring in gin that's traditionally used is juniper, isn't it? And that is a superbly magical herb. And it's really medicinal as well, because, you know, like many of these fragrant herbs, it's highly antimicrobial and it's been used for, um, for to treat bronchitis and it's also used for. Um, Problems of the urinary tract as well. So for things like cystitis, juniper can be very good. But of course, it's it, and it's also used in, in syrups and jellies. And you know, if, if any of you are thinking of having um, game meat for your Christmas lunch, then uh, then maybe you'll be having some juniper jelly or juniper syrup with it, which is really delicious and um, and very good for you as well, of course, because it's it's. Uh, you know, as well as being antimicrobial, it's also very good for the digestion. So, you know, very often our food traditions tell us a lot about the magic and the medicine of, of the herbs that, that we're using. Um, it's interesting, actually, in, in, in Sweden, the, um, where they make a lot of buttons, I used to live in Sweden, that's how I know, um, they make those butter knives, and they always make them out of juniper wood, because it is antimicrobial and because it's, they're so fragrant, um, they've got that smell of juniper that lasts a long, long time. I, it's 30 years ago that I lived in Sweden, more than 30 years ago, so I've lived here 30 years. Um, and uh, I've still got some butter knives that I bought when I was in Sweden and they still smell of juniper, even though I've used them and washed them up many, many times. So, the, so it really lasts. Um, and one of the lovely things that they do in Sweden around Christmas time is they have these lamps that are made from juniper wood and they hang them up in the window because they don't have curtains and it's all open and the window's all beautifully decorated. And when you, when you put a bulb inside a carved lamp of juniper, the wood glows red through. It's really, really lovely. Um, and uh, juniper berries particularly, we say berries, but in fact, if you're being a botanical nerd, they're not actually berries. They are technically cones, even though they look like berries, because juniper is a coniferous tree. Therefore, those little, little dark uh, berries that are actually cones. 
but you can you can use them for protective purposes. And much as people in the late summer and autumn make rowan berry necklaces, you can actually make necklaces out of juniper. And of course, you can you can do that now because you can buy the, the dried berries and just string them. And, and they're great for, for breaking hexes and curses and for general protection. And they're also much associated um, with the theft prevention. And you can make a poppet, so a little doll of any kind, and you can put a juniper berry at its heart to prevent theft. And uh, if, you'd like to, if you'd like to give a present to... Um, to, 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 to nature or to, to, to keeping traditions and such like going. The juniper is actually really struggling in the wild at the moment. Um, there are junipers in gardens, you know, people do grow them, of course, um, though perhaps not as much as they should. And apparently in Norfolk, although, you know, the juniper should be native to here, um, the only place where you can actually find juniper growing wild so I've been told, is on Stolt Head Island. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's struggling a bit. So, uh, you know, if, if, you, if, if you were to, to thank the plants for their magic and to promote a little magic, how about planting a juniper tree instead of a Christmas tree? They're much more fragrant and very, very beautiful. So I thought I'd leave it there, but, I'll, but I will just um, say that... Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of herbal things uh, are mentioned in, in in the two books that I've got there um, that I have currently available. Uh, a lot of the stuff, particularly about the beans and various other things, is is in a book called um, Hello Tide Devotional, which is which is out on pre-order with Toy Books at the moment, but is not um, uh, it's, it's not actually in physical form yet. I was hoping to have some to bring, but. Uh, but it's not quite uh, printed yet. Um, but also, I've, I've just finished uh, doing a charm deck. Uh, it's an oracle deck with a friend of mine, and it's called the Charm Weaver's Oracle. I can't paint or draw for toffee, but she's brilliant, and she's done these lovely paintings. And, uh, and it's called the Charm Weaver's Oracle, and it's 52 cards and 52 texts, all about the magic and the spells of these particular things. And uh, if, if you want to take a leaf about it, that will be available very soon. It's all finished, and we're just at this very moment contacting printers to find out um, what we'll do about getting it printed because we're taking the, the daring step of self-publishing on this occasion. So yes, and, and, uh, and if you're interested in lots of herbal stuff, I do have a Patreon as well, and the details of that are the, um, the leaflet about the charm oracle. So all my contact details are on that. So do feel free to take one. And thank you very much for listening. I've really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you.